Now, if you listen to the show regularly, you might be used to hearing me alongside a couple other members of the Places team. We share short stories about some of our favorite entries from the Atlas Obscura database. But today, it's just me. And that's because I love J.R.R. Tolkien. I was 10 years old when the first Lord of the Rings movie came out. I remember sitting in the Uptown Theater, totally captivated by the story that was unfolding in front of me. After we left the theater, it was the only thing I wanted to think about. I picked up a box set of the books at Barnes & Noble, and I quickly figured out that Beyond the Hobbit, they're tough reading for a fifth grader. I wouldn't dare to call myself the world's biggest Tolkien fan. I haven't learned how to speak Quenya, Kuzdal, or any of the other languages that he created. I haven't even read all of the Silmarillion, but I have poured over his watercolor paintings and I spend my days in the company of a wise gray dog named Gandalf. And Tolkien's world has been an important part of my world for the better part of 20 years. I'm Michelle Cassidy, and this is Atlas Obscura a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. This fall marks 50 years since Tolkien's death. In honor of the writer's life and legacy, we wanted to take you back to a few of the places where it all began. More after this. time I took a road trip. How many national parks could I hit in two weeks? What about hotels? Wait, hey Erica, how much am I spending on travel? When your questions about life turn into questions about money, there's Erica, the virtual financial assistant to help you spend, save, and plan smarter. Only from Bank of America. What would you like the power to do? Erica is only available in the English language. You must download the latest version of the mobile banking app, only available on select mobile devices. Your chat may be recorded and monitored for quality assurance. Message and data rates and additional terms may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. We're most used to seeing John Ronald Rayle Tolkien referred to as J.R.R. To his family and many of his close friends, the author was simply Ronald. He was also tallers to a select few, but we'll get to that in a bit. Tolkien was born in South Africa, and when he was just three years old, his father died. Soon after that, his mother moved back to England with her two sons, and they took up residence in Serhole, a hamlet just outside of Birmingham. 
They stayed there for four years, a time that Tolkien later described as the most formative part of his life. Before that, he had lived in hot, dry grasslands and was often sick as a child. Rural England was a stark contrast with its lush green woods and mossy marshes, little country houses and old mills. The Tolkien boys spent their time in Serhul exploring the land and swimming in the mill pond. They would forage for blackberries and once or twice at least found themselves chased away by the miller and his son. Sometimes they would visit their aunt at her farm, which was called Bag End. If any of this is starting to sound familiar, it's because Serhul was one of the main places that inspired Tolkien's description of the Shire and its resident hobbits. The family moved several times, in part because of the boys' education. Tolkien had learned how to read at the age of four, and while he enjoyed learning about plants and flowers and trees, what he really took to was the study of languages. In school, he studied all the classics, French, German, Latin, and Greek, but he also dabbled in Old English, Middle English, and Gothic. He taught himself Esperanto and started creating languages of his own as a teenager. As a student at Oxford, Tolkien studied historical linguistics and specialized in Old Norse. But while he was really digging into his studies, over on the European continent, World War I was taking shape. Unlike many of his contemporaries, Tolkien didn't rush to enlist when war broke out in August of 1914. He wanted to complete his studies, and at the time he was working on creating the language that he would eventually call Quenya, that a lot of us know as Elvish. But by the time he passed his finals in 1915, Tolkien recalled that his relatives were becoming outspoken in their hints that he should do his civic duty and join up. Within a few months, he had enlisted as a second lieutenant. After a few dull months at training camp, Tolkien set out for France in June of 1916. He saw action almost immediately at Somme. If you're not especially up on your World War I history, the Somme Offensive was a campaign that was meant to break the stalemate between the Allies and the Central Powers. But it did not do that. Over the course of 140 days, more than 3 million men fought, and more than 1 million of those men were wounded or killed. Today, it's remembered as one of the deadliest battles in human history. During his time in the trenches, Tolkien had a front seat view to the devastating effects of war. Several of his closest friends were killed in the battle. And it's hard to miss the lingering effects of World War I in Tolkien's work. He describes orcs digging deep trenches, relentless bombardment, and landscapes deeply scarred by war. His description of a place called the Dead Marshes is eerily similar to the battlefield at Somme. In the second book of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, Frodo Baggins and Samwise Gamgee trudge through the Dead Marshes, this endless, barren landscape that's filled with pooling water and muck. It's a no-man's land stuck somewhere in between the world of the living and the world of the dead, so much so that Frodo and Sam encounter actual, literal ghosts while they pick their way through the marshes. In a letter in 1960, Tolkien wrote that the dead marshes owe something to northern France after the Battle of Somme. Death was all around. It wasn't just the threat of enemy attack either. The landscape was a massive, muddy swamp that was filled with these puddles of stagnant water and bodies that lay unburied and decaying in no man's land. 
if you go to Somme today, you can see the overgrown remains of filled-in trenches and the craters left behind by explosions. Unexploded ordnance is regularly found in the area, and hundreds of people have been killed in the century since the battle's formal end. After five months in France, Tolkien returned to England on a hospital ship. He had developed a condition called trench fever that kept him in and out of the hospital for the next two years. It was during this time that he started to write down a series of heroic tales of elves and men. After the war, Tolkien made his way back to Oxford. In 1926, he met fellow professor C.S. Lewis, who you might know as the author of The Chronicles of Narnia. The two hit it off immediately and developed a deep, lasting friendship. Both of them loved languages and stories and myths, and they loved to walk though Lewis preferred a long, focused hike, and Tolkien tended to amble at a more leisurely pace with frequent breaks to admire plants and trees and birds. Tolkien and Lewis often shared their work with each other. In the 1930s, they started an informal literary club with a few other like-minded friends. You might even call it a fellowship. They called their group the Inklings, and they met on Tuesdays in the back room of the Eagle and Childs, which they called Bird and Baby. At Inklings meetings, members would go around one by one and read aloud something that they had been working on. Sometimes they were long and sometimes short, sometimes serious, sometimes funny, scholarly works or whimsical short stories. But everybody listened and everybody offered their own form of criticism or praise. Evening discussions could last for hours and people could hear Lewis's booming laugh and Tolkien's quick and lively voice coming out of whatever room they were in. It was during the time that the Inklings were meeting that Tolkien was working on The Lord of the Rings. The saga that he had started imagining during the war had worked its way into the stories he told his four children at bedtime. But when his five-year-old Christopher started calling his father out on inconsistencies, like the color of Bilbo's door or what kind of tassel adorned a specific dwarf's hat, Tolkien began writing the stories down, mostly to keep his details straight those stories eventually became The Hobbit, which was published in 1937. When its first print run sold out in three months, Tolkien's publisher asked for more about Hobbits, a request that led to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. The Inklings kept getting together to share their stories, even as its founding members found great success in the publishing world. The group kept meeting until Lewis's death in 1963. Their connection to the pub made it, along with Tolkien's grave, the college where he taught, and the gardens where he liked to stroll, something of a pilgrimage site for fans. A plaque was installed in the Eagle and Child to commemorate the Inklings, and the pub hung up pictures and prints related to the books that were born inside its quiet back room. According to one of the bartenders, at one point, Inklings fans made up about 95% of their visitors. Sadly, the Eagle and Child closed in March 2020, in the early part of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's still closed today, though there are rumblings of plans to refurbish and reopen the pub. It's easy, I think, to consider Tolkien's work simply fantasy. After all, when was the last time you encountered a treasure-hoarding dragon or a walking, talking tree in your day-to-day life? 
But there's a reason that these stories have stuck around and they've become embedded in our consciousness the way they have. It's because they're so deeply rooted in the real world. To see the places that inspired these stories and to learn about them, even just a few of them, makes them just a little bit more real. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Stitcher Studios. Our production team includes Dylan Thuris, Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Baudelaire, Gabby Gladney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was sound designed by Manolo Morales and mixed by Luce Fleming. Our theme and end credits music is by Sam Tindall. I'm Michelle Cassidy, wishing you all the wonder in the world. See you next time. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure that you're always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions.